0: in fifth grade or younger, we invite you down for the children's chat at this time. Good morning. How are you all today? Good. All right. So do you remember what you did in Hope for Kids last week? What would you do? You had a piece of cardboard, you put glue on it on wood okay so you put glue on the board and then you you poured salt over that and the salt stuck to the glue and then you took watercolors and you touched the salt and it kinda goes yeah and so you made what did you make you took that boring board and what did you make on it well you took a desert it started as a desert what colors are what colors are on the board now was there green yes what does that represent life growth grass yes and was there blue what does that represent water rivers lakes oceans water also represents life right and this week you're going to put a mountain on the board all right, that's with Salto. And so let me read a verse to you and you can help me understand what this means. All right? Every valley, what's a valley? Is it a high point or a low point? A valley. Go low. There you go. Valleys are low. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain shall be made low. So, what's a mountain? High point or a low point? High point. High point. What are they going to do to the mountains? They're make them go low. Make them go low. All right. And the valleys are a high point or a low point. Low point. Low point and they're going to make them high. High. higher. Right. So, what happens if you take the mountains? And you lower them, and you use that to fill in the valleys. What do you now have? Are there any mountains left? No. no. Are there any valleys left? No. What does the land look like? Uh, Lubbock. Yeah. <laughs> looks that bad. It doesn't look that bad, <laughs> but all right. So the land is flat, right? So if you if you had to walk somewhere, would you rather walk? Over a mountain to get there, or through a valley to get there, or just on a flat surface to get there? Which would be easiest? The flat surface, right? So, okay, I think you're getting this. I'm not sure about the people behind you, but I think you're getting this. It says, the Bible says, the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. So this is what the Bible is trying to say, is that Jesus is going to take the way to God, and he's going to take all the complications out of the way. All the mountains, all the valleys will be laid flat, and our, our way back to God will be made easy because of what Jesus did for us. What did Jesus do for us? He died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And so, I don't know about you, you probably don't have a mountain yet, but in my life I have like a mountain of sins, right? I I built it over a long time, and Jesus just takes them all away. He takes all my sins out of the way between me and God and makes it easy for me to come back. How How tall would my mountain be? Let's go with like Everest and maybe Everest and a half. What do you think, Sarah? Yeah? Or Jupiter? I'm not sure. All right. I think you get it. God, through Jesus, takes our sins away and makes returning to the heart of God easy. All right. Can I pray with you guys? All right. Dear God, thank you for your love that moves mountains, that raises valleys, and allows us to return to the heart of God on a path that is level and easy and made for us through the work of your son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We thank you for that love. We thank you for that grace. We thank you that you are the God who wants us back. And we pray your blessing over these children as they study more of your word and hope for kids today. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Lead them into a deeper understanding of your love for them through Jesus Christ. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Y'all have a great time in hope for kids. And I want to see those mountains. All right. Exactly. Why don't y'all react that way? So boring, what are you Presbyterian or something? It's terrible. Will you join me in prayer as we prepare our hearts for God's word this morning, God, our loving Father, we come before you, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts that you would speak to us this morning through your holy Word, that your word would go forth in this place, and that it would not return to you empty Father, we lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here through your word today. We give you our sins, our disappointments, and failures, and we thank you for the forgiveness, mercy, and grace that are ours in Jesus Christ. Lord, we lift before you all of those things that stand in the way of our relationship with you, and we just give them to you this morning. We lift before you the relationships in our lives that are strained. We pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We offer to you those whom we know and love who are sick or recovering from medical procedures or facing uncertain diagnoses, and we pray your healing mercies over your people. Lord, we lift up this nation and our government at every level, elected and appointed, and we pray for wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before those who represent us. We lift up those who serve to protect and defend our Constitution and our military, and we pray that you would watch over and protect them. We pray especially for those who are in harm's way, and we ask that you would bring them home safely. We pray for those who are separated from their families as a result of their service, and we pray that you would be with both uh, the deployed and those on the home front, uh, keeping the fires burning. and staying close to each and all of their hearts. Lord, we um, also lift to you those who've returned home from their service changed as a result of the sacrifices that they're, they were willing to make on our behalf. And we pray that your, your healing mercies would be poured out upon them, mind, body, and soul. Lord, use us to minister your grace and your love to their hearts and souls and to their families. And Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world And we pray that you would be at work through your people. We lift up those churches that we are connected to through our missions in uh, Guatemala, in Laredo, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we pray your blessing over all those works that are ongoing. We lift up the church plants in our denomination in Texas, in, in Katy, in Austin, in New Braunfels, and we just pray your blessing over those young works. Uh, Bless them and grow them and use them for your glory. We pray all of these things in your holy and precious Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So, we are in the midst of a series of messages through the book of Isaiah. Uh, Most of Isaiah is written as poetry and historically would have been... uh, Wow, sung, sang, songed, sang, sang, we'll go with sang, sangin', they'd have done some sangin', but most of Isaiah would have been sung throughout history, Um, sung, sang, or singed, Um, (coughs) that way people who've been in Lubbock for any period of time can still understand what I'm talking about. Um, so the series we've called Messiah Song, Isaiah has an amazing grasp of the coming Messiah for someone who's writing in the time period that he did. And up until today, we've been in the first 39 chapters of the book, and then there's a, an interesting sort of break between 39 and 40 that we're going to explain in just a moment Um, But I want to just kind of summarize the thematic content that Isaiah has established thus far in chapters 1 through 39. So here's our summary of the first uh, section, the first major literary section of Isaiah. That sin brings devastation. And we, we know this, right? When we sin against someone, it hurts. It hurts them it hurts us. It hurts others. It hurts God. Um, sin brings devastation, and then we've seen in this f- in this first section of Isaiah some of the spelling out of that devastation: uh, sickness, war, conflict—that's interpersonal conflict, injustice, suffering, disorder, and separation separation between uh, people and the separation between people and their God. And so we've Isaiah has sort of spelled all of this out in the first 39 chapters, and he's also given us some glimpses that God brings salvation. So our sin brings devastation and ultimately separation between us and God, but God, his work, brings salvation. That is, Instead of sickness, he brings healing. Instead of war, he brings peace. Instead of conflict, he brings reconciliation. Where there is injustice, he brings about and reestablishes justice. Where there was suffering, he brings joy. Where there was disorder, he causes restoration. And where there was separation, he establishes love between God and man and between us and each other. And so there is this devastation caused by our sin, and then there's this this power of reversal in the heart of God that works its course through our lives to bring us to a place of hope and salvation. Now, I'm going to throw a really poorly constructed timeline on the the screen behind me, and I'm going to try to explain what's going on. So we've looked at these themes in the first 39 chapters, and Isaiah was living, so where are we? Okay, next slide, sir. All right, so Isaiah begins his ministry in 739 B.C., and he dies somewhere around 681 B.C., and remember in B.C. we count backwards to zero, right? Um, And we're in a church, so I don't have to say B.C.E., We're cool? All right. Okay. So Isaiah's ministry begins in 739. He prophesies up until his death. It's in roughly 681. There are different accounts, like maybe 678 or whatever, but there you go. So he has a ministry that lasts for 59 years. That's what we call staying power, ladies and gentlemen. This guy was around in the thick of things for a long time. And in that position as God's prophet, he saw it all. He saw good kings and bad kings. He saw uh, kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. And he knew one thing, that his God was in control. And so he prophesies at this point, at this period, in in this 59-year period, all of the writings in chapters 1 through 39 apply to this period, and they're all looking forward to events that will come primarily the exile to Babylon in 586. So that's almost 100 years after Isaiah that he's prophesying that, that Israel will, will fall to a foreign power. That foreign power will be the king of Babylon, that he will take captive all of their people and cart them off and destroy the city. And that the temple of God, that's the most important thing, will be turned to ruins. I marvel just at the fact that Isaiah could have seen all of this, right? Like it's a hundred years past him. I can't tell you what it's going to be like a hundred years from now. George Orwell couldn't nail what, was, what it was going to be like 50 years after he wrote 1984, but I was in high school in 1984, so we had to read that book like a couple of times. Anyway, um, so Isaiah sees these events that are years out ahead of him, but all of what he, all the people he's talking to in chapters one through 39 are alive in this period. From chapters 40 through 66. Isaiah appears to be talking to the group of people who have returned from the Babylonian exile and rebuilt the temple of God. So, there's, there's one of two miracles involved here. Either Isaiah, from the time period in which he was living, projected himself into the future and was talking to a group of people in the future. That's entirely possible. Right? This is the spirit of God at work through the prophet of God, uh, developing the word of God for God's people. This is all within the, f- the game, the, the realm of fair uh, and possible. I want to take you to a verse that's in the next slide. And based on, on what Isaiah is saying here, it is also possible. That Isaiah had established a a school of literature while he was alive. That there were sort of prophets in learning that he taught, that he wrote with, that then survived him. And once the exile was over and they were back in Jerusalem, they reopened the scroll of Isaiah and carried Isaiah's work forward 150 years and, and finished the book as it applied to that time period. If that is the case, and we don't know, we don't know whether, so you notice, he says, bind up the testimony, seal the teaching among my disciples. Who wrote the first five books of the Bible? Moses, God through Moses, right? Right? Who wrote the part of Deuteronomy that covers Moses' death and the events immediately following his death? God. So, but probably not Moses, right? So we, we say Moses wrote the first five books, but we're totally okay with the idea that what Moses did was he established a school, he gave the Hebrew language an alphabet, He was raised in Pharaoh's court. He understood the importance of recording everything. He gave the Hebrew culture an alphabet, a way of recording things, a a value for chronicling what a king does and how a king reigns. And that value persists throughout the life and history of Israel. You could argue Moses gave us virtually all of the Old Testament, because without him, it's all oral tradition after that point. But at the point of Moses, it's all written down, because he, under, he grew up in Pharaoh's court. He understood that. So it's possible that either Isaiah projected himself into the future 150 years and spoke to a group of people he had not met, or that this school of disciples that he established came back to Jerusalem and reopened the prophetic ministry of Isaiah in that place where it had once been. And we don't know. We don't know which of those is the more likely case. We don't, we, we just, if, if it was the, the latter, if it was this school of disciples who came back to Jerusalem after the exile, the miracle of Isaiah is the continuity between chapters 1 through 39 in chapters 40 through 66. They use much of the same vocabulary, the same imagery. These people, if that's what happened, they got it. They understood the values of Isaiah, and they, Im- and they carried them through in the continued work. If it was Isaiah, um, then it makes sense. That continuity makes sense, and the miracle is his projection of self into the future and writing to a group of people he's never met. Either way, it's the inspired word of God. It's miraculous, and it's powerful and prophetic and true. And we are now in a position where we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we need to hear ourselves in these words? So Isaiah, way back when he was alive, talking to the people who were alive with him, predicted that Israel would fall, and he used the metaphor of a charred stump, that Jerusalem would be cut down and carried away, and there would just be this burned stump, was the only thing that would be left. But then he said that that stump would sprout, that a a king from the line of David would be born, a child would be born, and his name would be God with us, Emmanuel. And he predicted the Messiah, the coming of of hope back into the world after the destruction brought about by sin. So let me ask you this question. Can you think of a time in your own life where the devastation of sin... Yours, someone else's, doesn't matter, brought you to the point where you thought God was gone, that he didn't care, that he didn't see you, that he didn't love you. If you can go there, to that place in your own heart, you are ready for Isaiah chapter 40. So I'm going to read the first few verses of the chapter and then the last few verses of the chapter And then we're going to talk about what this means for us. So, Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse 1, I will read through verse 11, and then I will pick back up in verse 27 and read through verse 31. Comfort, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended And the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, shall be revealed. And all flesh shall shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. and not faint. When we are suffering, what do we tend to focus on? ourselves. Woe is me. I'm so this. I'm so that. Why me? Right? You get it. You've been there. I want you to look at this journey of God's people as your own journey. Our sin has caused devastation. That devastation brings about separation from God. In, in the journey of God's people, that separation was, was literal. They were overrun by the kingdom of Babylon. They were carried off into captivity. Their city was destroyed, burned, torn down, etc. And all hope was gone. So, I, I cannot help but think of the massive parallels in these passages, in this whole concept of the devastation of sin, but with what's going on in, in Ukraine right now. Right? There, there's, I think just I just read yesterday, two different Ukrainian mayors of towns uh, in the east have been captured and carried back to Russia, right? And how humiliating is that? Just kill me in Texas. Don't cart me off to some foreign land and make me your prisoner. Um, But all of this discussion of of war and devastation, um, and you saw in verse 11 that God will gently lead those who are with young and the russians are bombing maternity hospitals right just the the contrast the 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 real time representation of these truths in our world and this is true biblically it's true in current events and it's true in my own heart that the devastation of my sin brings destruction and Well, discouragement to all. And my tendency there is to focus on myself, my problems, my brokenness, my sadness, my grief, whatever. Isaiah is speaking to a people who are on their way back from devastation. They're returning to Jerusalem here. And as they do... God wants them to hear certain things. He he wants us to hear that he is not done. That what would define us in our own minds is not how he wants to define who we are. And so in the devastation, God wants us to look up, to look to him, and to magnify who he is and what he stands for Rather than focus on our own position, look up, look beyond, magnify the Lord, and we will have the proper perspective on our problems. So if we are to do that, if we are to do what God is pointing us toward here, our first step is to find true comfort. Isaiah points us to the Messiah To find that comfort. We are to hear God's tender voice and to know that because of what the Messiah will do for us, our warfare has ended. Our iniquity is pardoned. We have received from the Lord's hand double for all our sins. Let me try to explain that. There's, there's a double meaning in that verse. So Israel suffered the, the defeat of their political entity, their kingdom. That was one consequence of their sin. Then they were carried off into exile. That's sort of the double for their, for their iniquity. Um, there's a doubling back. There's the coming Messiah who will atone for our sin. But you and I, as children of that Messiah, of God's family because of Jesus, we're not just forgiven. Who are you in Christ? What's the doubling for you? Your sins are forgiven. That really is enough for us to be thankful for. But it's a double down. You are not only forgiven, but through Christ, his righteousness that comes through the cross is vested in you. So when God looks at you, he doesn't see the destruction and devastation of your sin. That's forgiven he sees the light and beauty of his son. He looks upon you and smiles. He says, I love you. And so you don't just get pardoned, you get brought into the loving arms of God. You are given all of the rights of his firstborn son. You are in a place of cherished eternal inheritance because of what Christ has done for you. And so you have received double for all your sins. You are forgiven and you are brought into the eternal position of God's beloved son. Okay, so here we find that we are at peace, that we are beyond forgiven. We are brought into this place of prominence in God's heart. We hear God's tender voice, this reversal of what we have done. And then we are called to find our way back to this loving God, to his heart, to step onto the road that was prepared for us on the cross. So I'm just going to give away a metaphor. In in the book of Isaiah, the metaphor of the mountain of the Lord, that is the Messiah. Jesus is the mountain of the Lord, and he will, he will offer himself as the Lamb of God for the forgiveness of the sins of God's people on a hillside outside of Jerusalem. But having been consecrated in the temple in Jerusalem on that hilltop or mountaintop. He becomes the mountain of God. So when Isaiah is employing that metaphor, you need to see it as messianic. That's the correct way to, to understand what Isaiah is saying. So to find our way back to that mountain, all other mountains, all other valleys, all other rough terrain has been leveled and smoothed over. Jesus has prepared a highway along which you can return to the heart of God. Nothing stands in your way. He has taken every obstacle out of your path. You are free. You are loved. You are forgiven. You and I are called, if we are to find our way back on this highway, to acknowledge our own frailty. All flesh is grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. We're to acknowledge our own frailty, and we are to stand on the eternal word of God. I say this often when I, when I do funeral services. I'll take some ancient text, usually Psalm 23, and I'll talk about how old it is. And I will say to everyone who's there, listen, it's times like these that we need things that have never changed. We need things that are fixed, that are solid, that are unchanging and true. Listen to these words because they are eternal. And then we turn our hearts back to that truth that's there. We are in a position of frailty before a God who is everything but frail. He is fixed. He is unchanging. He is true. He is reliable. He is the rock of our salvation. We are to stand there and then spread his good news, trust in his power, and rest in his kindness. So let me just take you through verses 10 and 11 real quick. I'm going to reread them. And then I want you to think about the contrast. Verse 10. Behold, the Lord God comes with might. His arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now, what are you expecting next? And he's going to... Wipe out his enemies. He's going to destroy evil. He's going to demonstrate his glory. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. There's your God. Yes, if he wanted to just evaporate all existence right now, he could. But that's not what he wants. He wants to bring his people back. He wants to tend to the young, to the tender, to the broken, to those who are in need of his grace. And so this is the the person of God, of Christ, in whom we are to find rest. So, true comfort comes from hearing God's tender voice and finding our way back to the heart of God through Christ, through the way that He has prepared for us. Then, we are in a position to magnify God, to look past our circumstances and see the eternal truth that is ours in Christ. And so, we are to find true comfort in the Messiah, and we are to find true strength in the Messiah. This is where Isaiah turns towards the end of this chapter. And I just want to sort of emphasize verse 27 real quick. I'm going to reread it for you. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Again, if you've ever felt that way, Isaiah chapter 40 is for you hear God's response to that. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. I'll stop there for now. And let's just think about those words. When you feel that God has forgotten you, what do you need to know? Well, according to verse 28, what you need to know is that your God is tireless and He is perceptive. He not only sees you, He sees through everything you try to hide behind he sees you. He perceives what you need, who you are, what's missing, what's there. He gets you. And not only do you need to know that he is tireless and perceptive, you need to know that he is compassionate and restorative. So, This group of people has walked back from captivity in a foreign land, and they have returned to Jerusalem, and it is in ruins. And the first thing they do is they rebuild a wall around their city. But it's a shabby job because all of the skilled stonemasons are gone almost everyone who has seen the the city before it was destroyed is dead and they just do the best they can then the second thing they rebuild is the temple and they dedicate the altar where their sins can be atoned for before God so what is Isaiah saying That God gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Into the ruins, God speaks hope. He's the God who rebuilds, who restores, who loves. That's what we need to know when it feels like God has forgotten us. And then, what do you need to know When you feel like your tank is empty and you've got nothing left, what does God want you to know there? Well, it's right here. Verse 30, even youths shall faint and be weary and young young men shall fall exhausted. In other words, no one is exempt from human frailty. No one. What do you need to hear? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. they shall mount up on wi- with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. So normally, I think, in poetry, you, you build up to the crescendo, right? And here, Isaiah starts with the soaring on wings like eagles, but he comes right back down to where we are. Just broken, feeble, weak, weary, faint. And he says, they shall walk and not be faint. You don't have to soar like an eagle, to be a good Christian. You just have to know that the power of God is enough that you can walk again. You can get up from the devastation. You can look up. You can restore your view of hope and know that you are loved. You can wait for the Lord, for His timing, for His will, for His word to speak to you. And you can walk In renewed strength. So I'm gonna do something kind of random. I'm gonna go back. I I did not put this in the PowerPoint, but I just want to read to you from Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. Isaiah 30, 15. Thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. So this idea of renewed strength out of our weariness, this, it's important to note that theme is prominent in the first 39 chapters of Isaiah and throughout the last several chapters of Isaiah. It's in both of those sections of this great work. And so God is speaking the same truth through this entire work. And when I refer to Isaiah, I refer to him as one author because the unity of this piece of literature is so intact regardless of how it got here, it's amazing, it's miraculous, it speaks to people who lived millennia ago, and it speaks to us today, that our God, He knows, He's aware, He remembers, He redeems, He makes the path back to Him smooth and easy by His grace, There's no mountain you have to climb. There's no valley you have to hack your way through. The way back to the heart of God is open and smooth and prepared for you by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, you are our true comfort and our true strength. And so we magnify you. The God who is tender, whose word is eternal, whose good news is worthy of being told, whose power is immense, and whose kindness is real. You are tireless and perceptive, compassionate and restorative. You are worth waiting for. It is in you, in your hope in your love and your grace that we find renewed strength to get back up and walk into your loving arms, to know that you are the good shepherd who loves us and cares for us, who will see us to that place of safety and grace eternal. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your love for the gift of your son, for the work that he did on the cross on our behalf to make the way back to you smooth and easy and free. We thank you for that gift. We praise you and magnify you for who you are. Even in the midst of the devastation in our own lives, we remember your love, your grace, your word, your will.